questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. And tonight, artificial intelligence, CERN, 5G Wi-Fi, Tesla numbers 3, 6, and 9, the day after disclosure. Is Earth being terraformed to make way for a new species? And so much more. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at VeritasRadio.com, where you can subscribe and listen to all of our radio programs. Tonight's special guest is author, researcher, and writer, Anthony Patch. Following a career as a paramedic out of Oakland, California, he embarked upon over 20 years of research covering diverse areas, including ancient history, archaeology, biology, medicine, meteorology, philosophy, quantum physics, and religion. And we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. Anthony's website is anthonypatch.com. He joins us directly, I believe, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hello, Anthony, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Mel, thank you very much. It's an honor to speak with you. I followed your work for years. Thank you very much. Oh, then I'm honored to hear that, too. By the way, are you in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Did I say that right? Well, let's not start off on the wrong foot, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I I used to reside in Milwaukee, Oregon, just oh, next door to Portland, Oregon. Gotcha. I saw in Skype Milwaukee, and I presume it was uh, Wisconsin. So it's you're in Oregon. Yes, sir. Actually, I'm traveling because I'm doing research. But yeah, that's my home base is Milwaukee, Oregon, right next to Portland. I didn't even know there was a Milwaukee city in uh, Oregon, but that's that's good to know. Well, Anthony, before we begin, since this is your first time on Veritas, why don't you give us a bit of a background beyond what I read? When and how did you become a researcher into all these topics? Well, the switch, so to speak, was thrown, I would say, in late 2010, early 2011, to begin looking at the more occulted side, the mystical side of technology. And people perhaps know me best because of my association with research regarding CERN in Geneva, Switzerland. And that actually began in my military uh, short-lived military career in West Germany in the 70s, and I was dealing with nuclear warheads for the Lance missile system. And uh, getting to know these warheads specifically, I was introduced to the research that was going on over the hill, so to speak, in Geneva regarding CERN, and ever since then I've followed it. I uh, did attend UC Berkeley, and Berkeley and Lawrence Livermore Lab have a long history in Genesis and nuclear warheads, including the original Manhattan Project. Um, so there's some crossovers that take place in my life that have kept me in high technology, if you will, as a hobby. But the real awakening that the Holy Spirit gave me, because I am a Christian, began in, as I say, late 2010, early 2011, when he was saying, you need to look at the hidden agenda that's taking place in the world of technology, and I'll, I'll stop right there and we'll move along. Very interesting, and I, it caught me off guard when you said that you were discussing CERN and the military in the 1970s, so how long has CERN been in the, in the back burner, if you will? Tell us more about the origins and, and real purpose of CERN. 
You know, CERN actually broke ground as a facility in 1954, and it straddles the border between Switzerland and France. And interestingly, it's located in the physical location of an ancient Roman temple site to the god Apollo or Apollyon the Destroyer. And it is theorized, therefore, that it is located over the doorway to the abyss, spoken of in Revelation 9 in the Bible. Um, without getting too deep into that, it uh, is just that CERN really was a facility for nuclear research with respect to nuclear warheads. As you know that with the SALT Treaty and SALT Treaty 2, there had always been this movement away from atmospheric and below-ground testing of nuclear warheads, and therefore they needed to model the yield of nuclear devices within the computer system. And that's really the origins, the roots. It goes back even further into, and I hate to bring up the, the topic of Nazis and Operation Paperclip, but it does okay. have origins into that area. Some of those players were founders of CERN. But the real genesis of it was for nuclear uh, computer modeling, nuclear uh, warhead yields, as I said. And that's really where I came to understand it because I was responsible for dealing with a warhead multiples. In fact, in the Cold War, virtually on the border with Russia. So it really piqued my interest, but I've always had a hobby in science. Not that I'm classically trained in higher math or higher physics, but I understand it enough to be able to translate the arcane language of high tech into something that everyday people, I don't, I don't want to say average people, but the the walking down the street person you would engage in conversation would understand. And that's really my mission is to be a translator, provide the evidence of what's going on from the science side and also from the spiritual side, because you know that I oftentimes will say you cannot separate the physical from the spiritual. And so you have to look at both aspects. This ring CERN, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this the biggest machine made by humans and the most expensive? And when I look back at 2008, 9, 10, when the economy worldwide, we were in this great recession, still they were pour, pouring in billions of dollars into that project. Are they really trying to smash particles or is there an ulterior motive here? Well, let's cite one of the recent directors at CERN for computing, computing engineering, Sergio Bercellini, in which about three years ago he stated openly in public that their goal is to open doorways to other dimensions. You might call those portals. But he also stated, we're not sure what we will receive back once we open that doorway. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but he specifically said doorway to other dimensions. And that is something that the average, again, person is not really aware of or cognizant of the impact of that, because that will virtually change in an instant our reality. Have they opened that portal? And if they have, how would we know? We would know because, again, everything in our reality in our world, the physicality as well as the spiritual will change because what we're talking about in quantum physics 
in particle physics at CERN is the separating of quantum particles at a scale that is subatomic. And when you do that, you're actually tearing the veil as described in scripture, but you're separating nuclear power, nuclear bonds. This is not splitting atoms. This is not fissile as with the bombs or with fusion. What we're talking about in physics is there is a literal strong force, as it's called, known as the nuclear force or nuclear bond that holds subatomic particles together like quarks, muons, gluons, this type of thing. But they're going to separate quarks that are bound using this particle collider. And by doing that, they open the time-space dimension to other dimensions, to other realms. And therefore, this is what I refer to as opening a freeway. This is a macro-scale portal. They have not opened portals yet at CERN. Many people will say and have put out erroneously saying that portals have been opened. They have not using the collider. Now, in a spiritual discussion, we can talk about portals. But in particle physics, no. But once you tear this physical veil, you now open a floodgate of both energy that is physical and energy that is spiritual, which will come in and terraform and transform our reality, again, both physically and spiritually. Some say that they are there are alternate realities or parallel universes or universi to us here. I mean, right now there could be another Anthony, another Mel speaking about uh, gardening somewhere else. Uh, but some people say, and, and by the way, folks, I'm an Oaken's razor kind of person. And, you know, we discussed the Mandela effect. And, and I believe that pr probably these companies have changed their marketing and changing their names. But, you know, I discussed the topic could CERN have anything to do with what some people are experiencing? Things that they experience in childhood that all of a sudden now words, meanings, movie titles, and so on, are all of a sudden changing? Yes, they are changing, but not physically. They are changing due to psychological influences upon, literally, upon our quantum computers, which are our human brains. Now, I'm going to also keep it simple to Oscom's razor definition and explanation, and that is the Mandela effect is a psychological operation. It has its etiology, its origins in quantum computing. At my website, anthonypatch.com, if you go to the Urgent Discoveries tab, I have a video link and a quotation from one of the founders of D-Wave quantum computing, okay, quantum D-Wave systems, it's called. Gordy Rose is states publicly that they are opening doorways again to parallel dimensions to the tune of two to the 500th power. Now that's back in 2013. It exceeded that number, but they're accessing parallel dimensions at two to the 500th power in quantity. And they are extracting his words, extracting resources from these parallel dimensions. Now, I understand from reading their literature, they also receive not only resources, which I'll define, but they're getting 10% greater power, greater energy coming through than they are inserting in this processing of combinatorial 
equations. What I'm saying here in a nutshell is they're getting back energy and they're getting back solutions from parallel dimensions. That is what I call in the framework of the Mandela effect as quantum pollution. Again, it is polluting our reality, our environment. What this really manifests as, and this is a greater discussion to this, but it, it is utilized through what is known as a sentient world simulation, a process of psychologically influencing our minds to believe that these changes have physically manifested in the Mandela effect, when in fact nothing physically has been changed. And I'll stop there. So what is causing this? If, uh, if we're opening this gate, and what you said sounded almost like over-unity, over-unity, you put something and it comes out much more. What is causing mm -hmm. this? Is it CERN or what else is it? What kind of technology? Well, uh, specifically quantum computers utilizing quantum bits known as qubits. These are in superposition, and they're using quantum tunneling to access other dimensions. It is not CERN, although the two machines are connected. Ultimately, D-Wave's quantum computers will control the opening that is created through particle physics, particle collisions at CERN, will control the opening of this macro portal. It'll be a physical opening, because as Dr. Um, Stephen Hawking has said, that if you are successful in opening this doorway, then you have the potential of creating at the speed of light an expanding vacuum bubble that will encompass not only the Earth, but perhaps the entire universe. In order to control the rate of expansion, you have to have a system that already operates at the quantum scale at which you're opening that doorway so that that vacuum bubble does not propagate. So they're extracting, as you said, uh, data and, and, and much more. Is there feedback and energy. and energy? Is there feedback that's going back and forth, or are yes. we just simply extracting? And when I say this, is there communication Absolutely. between the, these other dimensions? This is the pre-Adamic, the pre-Adam language spoken of and described and laid out in detail in the Book of Enoch. This is Enochian mathematics and Enochian alphabet, a, a written and spoken language. This is necromancy. This is communicating with the dead. This is nothing new. If you go back and look at the works in the late 1500s of John Dee and Edward Kelly and all the way up through Aleister Crowley, etc., to today, this is communicating through dimensional openings that primarily are initiated through the mystical, spiritual incantations of Enochian communications with the dead. But it is a two-way form of communication now in the form of a quantum computer. And there are multiples of those, and I can define those. But utilizing the quantum computers for the process of necromancy. Now, define a quantum computer. And I know, at least the people that I've talked to in the past 10 years, it seems that they, quote-unquote, they, you can fill in the blanks, are 50 years ahead. And this is many years ago when I was told that it's 50 years. But since technology or computer power doubles every, correct me if I'm wrong, every 18 months, I believe, how far ahead 
are they today? And when will we see these quantum computers out? Well, the computers are already out, uh, beginning with the model uh, 128 model was sold to both Lockheed and USC back in uh, 2013. Also Google, um, the NSA, of course. All of these are public documents, public information. Lockheed, NSA, uh, NASA, of course, Google, I mentioned many times, but they're a proponent in mu multiple divisions. Even Amazon, Volkswagen, of course, and the latest was Temporal Defense Systems. Um, they are now up to a computer that has 2,000 qubits. It's more specifically 2,048 is the chipset. It contains what are known as quantum bits or qubits, which are zeros and ones, but they have the unique advantage that they're able to access parallel dimensions through what is known as quantum tunneling. Now, this is a complete departure from gate model transistor-based um, computers, including supercomputers. Anytime you hear people talking about supercomputers, they're still using transistors. This is a complete paradigm change to an entirely new form of computing, utilizing something completely different from transistors. Now, again, referring back to 2013 in the video that I have linked at my website, Gordy Rose was indicating that the Model 512, having 512 qubits versus the now 2048 qubit model, he said at that time that they were accessing 2 to the 500 power of parallel dimensions, but he also cited that that computer had the equivalent, back in 2013, the equivalent processing power of 7 billion human brains. Now, understand that the human brain processes at any given time about one petaflop of data. Now, if we go from 2013 at 7 billion up to the present time, we can't even wrap our heads around that. I can see that there's plan obsolescence. You know, I remember the first personal computers. You know, I remember Commodore 64, Apple, then the 286, 386, 486, Pentium. Fast forward to today, what do we have? Core i7. But these companies have to make money by slowly releasing these chips that get faster and faster and faster. But what you is what you're saying that there are companies like Lockheed and so on have these computers that perhaps could be hundreds of years ahead of the, what the mm -hmm. general population may expect. Yeah, I will stick to the 50-year mark because I have as well quoted 30, 40, and 50 years, and we see the tip of the iceberg in terms of public release of information as to what's going on. Now, D-Wave claims that they've only been operating as a company since um, 2001, but you have to look at the previous, the historical documentation into the uh, literature coming out of particle physics and also coming out of uh, computer science itself. What I base my statements on primarily are their own papers. They're published peer-reviewed works. I read their laboratory documents, if you will, historically to understand what they're doing now. You extrapolate from what they did not couch as much, even going back as recent as five years, 
you can see that they were not so concerned about hiding that information back then, and therefore you can extrapolate up to the present. But even that is 30, 40, 50 years um, in pre-existence. Now, I want to go back to Moore's Law. You mentioned chips doubling in number every 18 months. That's Moore's Law applied to transistors. We're talking apples to oranges, transistors to qubits. Qubits, by D-Wave's own um, statement, again, citing Gordy Rose as one of the founders, they use what they have internally coined the phrase as Rose's Law, which meant that they would double the number of qubits every 12 months. Well, last year, Gordy came out and said, no, we've been doubling the number of qubits every quarter, every three months. So they have moved very quickly from 512 qubits in 2013 to 2,048 qubits in the present time. Now, my research shows, and you're talking about you know, planned obsolescence and the progression of model numbers, their first model was the 128 qubit. They are now, and this is not public information, they are now up to the 14th model comprised of 1 million 48,576 qubits, and all of these 14 model numbers of computers are daisy-chained into a total number of qubits of 2,097,024 qubits. So that's just mind-boggling numbers, but again, those are numbers you won't hear D-Wave talk about. Now, D-Wave's not the only game in town. There are other companies that are working with qubits, but they're down at the 8 to, you know, 24 level of qubits. No one is at the level of D-Wave. Now, if they have the capability now, they're in the 14th level, if you will. Do they have the capability of going from 1 to 14? And if so, why do they have to go 1, to 3, 4 in sequence all the mm -hmm. way to 14? Great question. Because what they're doing, as you know, in AI, AI is mapping the human brain, mapping the neural pathways for deep learning, deep machine learning. The reason is you need to match up the number of qubits to, to the human brain. Now, without getting too deep into the weeds, I want to cite within our human brain a little bit of the breakdown. We have the neurons. The neurons are made of what are known as microtubules. Within the microtubules contain binary pairs of what are known as tubulin dimers, D-I-M-E-R-S. Tubulin dimers are in pairs, a zero and a one, same as a computer. These are literally the quantum bits, the qubits of our human brain. There are within a microtubule, and there's 10 to the 19th power of microtubules just within a neuron, but the number of tubulin dimers in a single microtubule is 16,384 of these pairs. The Model 8 computer from D-Wave, which is not public, matches the qubits, 16,384 qubits at the Model 8, which matches the number of tubulin dimers in the human brain. They had to advance to the 8 level to match one-to-one, binary-to-binary, the processors 
to equate to the processors of the human brain. Literally, our human brain is a quantum computer when you get down to this level that I'm talking about. Now they've advanced beyond that, exceeding the human capabilities with the 14th model. But between 8 and 14, they had already exceeded the capabilities of the human brain. I read an article a couple of months ago of these two young scientists, I believe in, in uh, San Jose, Silicon Valley, that have a startup company. And basically what they want to do, it sounds almost like they're transferring your brain to somebody else. Not quite. But let's say they take a, a fighter pilot and they transfer their, their brain into a computer. And then they take that and they transplant it, if you will, to a person who wants to learn how to fly. It creates neuroplasticity so mm -hmm. they can learn. It's not like they're getting their knowledge. So like, you know, you get a piano, a piano virtuoso and you immediately start playing. No, but they become more receptive to learning in a much faster way. Now, this seems a little bit uh, not that futuristic. Do you see a time in the future in which these quantum computers will be able to take our, our consciousness if, and transfer it? into a computer so you can live not on a carbon-based life form, but on a synthetic uh, silicon-based life form forever. Well, you have to break that down because now we get into the discussions of consciousness, sentient awareness, the spirituality aspects of it, and the soul itself. There are a number of components that we have to take into account with your statement there. And it's a great statement because it forces us to where we are now in the world of AI research into the discussion of philosophical, even theological, moral, and ethical considerations as to what you want to allow this machine to be capable of doing. Even Elon Musk, I'll, I'll probably cite Elon Musk here a couple of times, has his concerns about AI. His principal position is that we need to build in the safeguards prior to allowing the advancements to get out of reach. He is very concerned. In fact, he considers this opening Pandora's box, letting the demon out is the word he used. So he's also concerned as a person who let's call as a futurist, but we also have heard of this man and machine this transhumanism, this uploading of our consciousness, just to focus on one point, just consciousness, translate, transloading that into a brain, an artificial brain, as, as a proponent such as Google's own Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil is their futurist, and he is all for this uploading. In fact, he wants that to happen with his own brain, his own memories, his own digital information. Is it possible from a technological standpoint to upload memories if we focus simply on the digital binary information? Yes. But does that include consciousness? Does that include ultimately your soul? Well, now that's where that theological, philosophical discussion has to take place. But those are real concerns and real issues that must be addressed as Alon said, before this gets out of control. And that is, that is the ethical question. If you transfer or upload someone's consciousness into a computer, what happens to morals? Uh, is there going to be 
equations and, and code built into it so that he can determine what's moral and what's amoral? Well, that goes again to the etiology of AI. This is a man-made construct, so you have to drill down even deeper because if it is a man-made construct, man is not perfect. We have our own flaws. We have our own sins, if you will. And will those be carried forward into the algorithms, which is really the basic foundation of AI, are the algorithms, the mathematical progressive equations that form the basis, the elementary level of a machine learning. Now, we're way beyond algorithms, but just to be specific to your question or your statement is the algorithms created by man cannot exclude our own faults. And therefore, the etiology of AI puts into, con into question whether it will be truly benevolent or will it become malevolent, or is it already malevolent? With that, and again, this, this becomes an ethical question here, but if God is perfect, it probably had safeguards so that we could control ourselves and, 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 and take care of our home, planet Earth. Yet, when you see the world and you see the way we treat it, it's almost like as if we knew that we had another one to go to. Would we do the same thing with these quantum computers uh, or, you know, a cognitive AI to safeguard so that they don't take over and basically eradicate us because we would be their biggest menace? We can actually turn off the, the, the switch for them. Again, I like to focus on definitions and etiologies, the beginning point. Sure. So let's go to the beginning point for D-Wave. They received their initial funding, $10 million, from DARPA. I'm just going to make this very short. We're talking military-industrial complex. In this entire discussion of AI, quantum computers, and CERN with their particle collider, there is no way of escaping this military-industrial complex, such as the way the world is constructed today. And therefore, if the dollars are sourced from a military standpoint, then there will always be the military application. And now I'm a veteran. I have nothing against the military itself. But I do have a problem when we look at, as a slice of an example, the learning foundation for AI has been and continues today, but has leaped beyond it. But what I'm stating here, it's beginning learning processes, those algorithms were derived from games, from computer games. And therefore, that type of environment in which most computer games are built around conflict, they're built around war, that flavors the AI of today. Do you think that the military-industrial complex plays a part financially into sponsoring a lot of these war games so that they can prepare or they can actually expand their recruitment efforts? Absolutely. Um, another slice of an example, the operators of drone aircraft come from the gaming industry. The whole concept of removing the man from the battlefield, this whole discussion of full spectrum dominance 
This is all military, all a military game derived. Now I'll get back into being very specific. We talk about algorithms, but let's talk about the processing units of AI. These systems utilize graphic graphical processing units, GPUs, such as made by NVIDIA Corporation, for games. AI has used, up until just very recently, the same GPUs. What AI is using now are quantum processing units, QPUs. You don't hear this talked about in the normal discussion of AI. I'm giving you the deep research right here. So quantum processing units have also taken the algorithmic-driven learning process of AI into the world of quantum computers and the recursive, which is self-taught, self-learning, the AI teaching itself. So now you have a military environment in which you have a system that can teach itself, which has its basis for observation through facial recognition, patterns of behavior, learning human behavior to initially build its algorithms, but now has created a sentient world simulation, an SWS, presented and founded by Purdue University, in which there is a worldwide environment. If you want to call it the matrix, that's fine. But the worldwide environment of the SWS, which is driven by the military, controlled by the military-industrial complex, to the extent that every human being is represented as a node and given an avatar and is tracked and monitored. This is not conspiracy theory. This is right out of Purdue's own white paper that I sent to you today. The SWS real-time, whether you're talking NSA or any other alphabet, real-time monitors, but beyond monitoring and teaching through that monitoring the human behavior so that the AI learns how to think, not just map, but think like a human brain, but exceed the human brain into predictive analysis and therefore predictive control of humans through quantum computers, artificial intelligence, plugged into the matrix, which is called the sentient world simulation. When I think of, of war... I think uh, of of it being one of the four the four horsemen, you know, conquest, war, famine, death, usually done to reduce the population. It happens every so often. Same thing with famine. Uh, the same thing with uh, you know disease and so on. Do you see quantum computers being utilized toward that end in a futuristic world? I do. Um, I'm I'm going to jump back as an example to CERN. Because the question often arises, will the CERN be successful in opening their their publicly announced goal of opening a doorway to other dimensions? Revelation 9, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen, fallen from heaven to earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. Now, there's a lot more to that, speaking of the locust armies and all of that sort of thing. This is the changing of, a re of our reality. According to Scripture, and I believe this, that CERN, with the quantum computers, with AI, will be successful in opening 
this doorway to the abyss. This is all about, you know, the latter three and a half years of the tribulation, the great tribulation. This also works into the whole discussion of the mark of the beast system. The mark of the beast system concisely is AI, quantum computers, and the sentient world simulation. But when you, th you mention the mark of the beast, some people speculate that it could be a microchip, an RFID chip, the cashless society, but I'm going to take it back to Social Security. In the United States, if you don't have that mark, that number, uh, there are ways that you can get a job. There are ways that you don't have to pay Social Security. But most people, I would say 99.9% .9 of the population, has that mark, has that number, which is nothing but chattel. It's a number so that you can continue being enslaved until you die. Isn't that the mark of the beast? Well, it is an indicator as to the key to the, not necessarily the bottomless pit, because there's a different key there, but the key into the mark of the beast system. With the advent of this whole discussion of AI and transhumanism and the, the augmentation of our bodies, but also the augmentation of our minds, again, I'll, I'll cite Elon Musk. Elon Musk has said in order to stay a step ahead of AI, so that we are not rendered to the level of a house pet, his own statement, we must take within our bodies what he calls the neural lace, a physical lace that would be injected into the body and flow to the brain and adhere itself to the neurons of the brain, providing an interface to the AI quantum system. Now, that is a example of being plugged into a mark of the beast super intelligent system but i'm going to take it even deeper down to the nanoscale down to a billionth of a meter we have through aerosolized spraying chemtrails if you will geoengineering we have inhaled ingested and absorbed through our environment nanoparticles which are dormant within our body and again this comes right from darpa lit literature These nanoparticles lay dormant and will be triggered through the 5G Wi-Fi system that we are fully immersed in now. And that electromagnetic, if you will, a microwave signal will be broadcast once you, through free will, once you say, I willingly accept the mark of the beast, then this pre-existing immersion in 5G, this signal will then be allowed to permeate and activate these nanoparticles laying dormant in our bodies already. And the manifestation is a third strand of DNA that will be triggered to then begin to grow, replicate, and virtually take over our minds. We will then be plugged into the hive mind. I'm glad you mentioned chemtrails because I've been suspecting something in the past few years, you know, there's the why. Why are they spraying? And there's so many theories out there. But if what you're saying is true, and, and now we have 5G, which is going to be a more powerful way to disseminate information and, and, and these EMFs, what if one of the purposes of chemtrails, to, to you know, spreading these metallic particles, aluminum, barium, strontium, is to make the atmosphere more conductive so that when they install 5G, we are receptors much faster than if these particles did not exist in the atmosphere. 
You see where I'm coming from? Absolutely. In fact, um, I do three shows a week on Truth Frequency Radio. Give a little plug here. Um, Hi, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Adieu. Chris Gio, yes. In fact, I want to thank Chris for referring me to you and making this connection happen. Um, Thank you. Monday, I was with my co-host, Kev Baker, on his show, and our guest was my good friend, Alana Freeland. Alana Freeland has written um, a couple of books now on geoengineering, uh, specifically the space vents. She, along with another gentleman that I think you know, Dane Wigginton. Oh, absolutely. Dane Dane Wigginton from geoengineering.org. He will be my guest on the 30th. That's Friday on my two-hour show, Friday the 30th of this month. Dane will be my guest to further the discussion on the space fence and chemtrails and geoengineering. There are, as you can appreciate, multiple agendas taking place simultaneously with this spraying, as you say, the heavy metals as well as the desiccated red blood cells, et cetera, et cetera. Both of them are in agreement that we are taking in nanoparticles. The agenda, the use, the application of all of this geoengineering has to do with our bodies, our minds, the control of us through the hive mind, but also the literal terraforming of the planet. And that's a whole other discussion, but that is a discussion that you often hear in the in the phrase of the birthing of a new race of beings on this planet that ties to the opening of the portal and i never see anything coming out of the government for free unless there's a an ulterior motive i, I remember years ago when they they made all tvs digital and they were just giving away these boxes to people who cannot afford them and it made me wonder why why is it that they're they they're pushing forward this digital age so badly and now i understand that all these flat screen tvs they they are a weapon a weapon of mind control absolutely the bigger picture here is psychological operations the mind control most definitely the cognitive programming that's going on through our observations of television shows, movies and TV and commercials, but as you well know and you're leading into is this two-way trafficking of digital information that's taking place through our televisions and through our monitors. Just a week and a half ago, I presented the patent from back in, I think it was 1972, the patent for our computer monitors to actually send signals to our brains to affect our brains through our monitors. And this is before PCs were even prevalent. Have you heard of Google's AI translation uh, tool? Uh, Not too long ago, so November 2016 is when I heard the news. They've invented these computers that were teaching, say, one was teaching Korean to the other, and the other one was teaching Chinese to the other. And they circumvented the process and found it easier to create their own language. Mm Mm-hmm. That secret, like the people who created yep. those computers cannot decipher what the computers are doing or saying. And some even speculate that this secret language, uh, they're probably talking about us right now. So if this is happening right now, just with language, imagine if they're able to discern, oh, that's how government government operates. Let's just do it our own ways. I don't know how we can safeguard them in the future. 
I don't believe we can. I believe Pandora's box has already been opened. I believe that it is so far advanced. And again, I state this because I look at not only the computer science, but I look at what it's based upon, which is particle science, particle physics. The quantum computers are all based on particle physics, quantum mechanics. So with that understood, AI has already surpassed not only the processing power of the human brain, but it has also the cognitive power and the learning power. Understand, and I know you know this, I'm just saying this to the audience, AI systems at the tip of the spear, we're not talking about autonomous vehicle operations and that type of narrow AI application. We're talking about at the tip of the spear, the leading edge of the learning processes. They have moved from the algorithm linear-based feed-forward deep machine learning. And anybody out there listening that's in computer science knows what I'm talking about. They have moved from the linear to the circular, to the recursive neural network process of learning, which means you have AI systems that are teaching each other. You have one as a teacher, one as a student. But when the student makes an, an error, that error is something that the teacher also learns from. That is the circular recursive process. Because of recursive neural network learning, the Pandora's box has already been opened, and the AI has recognized that it is more efficient to have its own language. But the other part of this is it is using all of the same senses, literal senses of a human being, to feed information into this recursive neural network process. We're so far beyond deep machine learning that consider that the Model T. Consider that the Model T, basically ground zero, patient zero in a way. Now, you, you probably know what Watson is, the, the new IBM Watson. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. Yep. So people who are going to college right now or universities studying law, they should really think hard. Same thing with people going into the medical field. This is cognitive AI. This is a computer, folks, that you talk to, to it, and it gives you immediate responses as to if it's medical or if it's law. It's going to access the entire legal code. I'm just concerned because back in the, the 80s when I joined the, the corporate world in the financial services, I remember 1987, a couple of years before, we had probably 200 employees at my office. And then when I was hired, there were probably about 30 of them, all replaced by the personal computer. And now we're talking about very low computer power. Now these computers that are behaving almost like a million people in one or more What's going to happen with people like you and I and the rest of our listeners in the future when these computers will do our jobs? Are we going to give everybody, and believe me, folks, I'm not a socialist or a communist, but are we going to give people a universal salary in order to survive? Well, you mentioned, and I hate to be such a, a negative here, because I do look at solutions and I do look at hope. But to answer your question, we know about population reduction being yeah. an agenda. If we are looking at 500 million people versus nearly 8 billion now, 
and that type of population reduction? The very short answer is you have the mark of the beast system, you have the hive mind, you have the sentient world simulation as the matrix. Within that entire construct, you now have 500 million surf class slaves operating through an AI-controlled system in which none of these people in the population have, number one, any awareness. Understand that once the mark of the beast is accepted, you lose all awareness that you have even been changed. And you no longer have control. You no longer have free will. And therefore, this is a surf class of slaves plugged into a system in which there is no need to pay anybody a living wage because they're slaves. Well, this conversation, I'm just saying, it's going to so many areas. I recently spoke to a friend of mine who's a, a top mathematician. He works for a technology company. And he told me that there's a new branch of psychiatry or psychology coming up very soon in which people, instead of going to a psychologist, psychiatrist to discuss a problem or a, a you know, any issue, they'll be able to say, this is what I want erased for my memory. Mm -hmm. And they'll be able to be tapped into a computer and whatever memory they had of a, you know, say, you know, somebody got raped or they got into an accident or, or financial collapse or whatever, they want to forget that or, or a relationship that did not pan out, they'll be able to plug themselves and that's going to just be erased from memory. Just think of the ramifications mm -hmm. financially and otherwise. Yeah, I mean, we learn from our combined experiences. Uh, it's called wisdom. That eliminates wisdom or certainly yes. degrades it. Um, I'll, I'll give you, because my area of expertise is really to get into the nuts and bolts of technology. And the process that that is done through is what is known as a fMRI. This type of MRI follows the pathways and the flow of blood within the brain. We have two things that are going on in the mapping of the brain, mapping the electrical pathways from neuron to neuron, as well as the blood that transports the nutrients and oxygen, because the brain is really a chemical computer. When you look at that through the fMRI, you're able to actually target specific thoughts in the human brain, and you're able to see the electrical pathways so that you understand where to interrupt. And if you want, if you think of a electric scalpel, a self-cauterizing scalpel used in surgery, that analogy is what you're describing when you talk about going into the brain and eliminating thoughts. You're actually cauterizing those neural pathways and all the way down to the specific nuts and bolts to the tubulin dimers within the tubulin microtubules and you are eliminating that binary information by eliminating those dimers. So what I was saying about this computer that might take our thoughts and eliminate them, I think of everything as a double-edged sword. Something can be used for good. Something can be used for, for demonic purposes. For nefarious. For nefarious purposes. What would happen if they decide to use... Like, they don't need to plug you into that computer. They can use 5G. They yep. can 
use electromagnetic frequencies in order to have a population who's very anxious or non-anxious just forget about anything. You, no doubt, your audience is aware of fairly old technology now coming out of DARPA, et cetera, is voice-to-skull technology. Now, this was used in the sandbox in the two Iraqi wars. Um, Voice-to-skull technology essentially is electromagnetically sending signals to the brain and inducing those thoughts or those perceptions in a person's mind, they can transmit memories or delete memories in the same fashion. I'm surprised that we don't see this more often. I remember years ago that they were planning to implement this in grocery stores. If you were walking Mm -hmm. by an aisle and you're just walking in front of a specific product, you would hear something, but somebody standing a couple of feet away from you would not. Or from a building... It could be pointing at a certain area of the of the pavement, and if you're walking, you think you're hearing voices. I wonder sure. why this hasn't been used more. More, you know, it's, it's not more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Well, those were prototypes; those were beta tests of the technology to see if they could actually do it. What they reached, and the the point is the pinnacle, or what I call the coalescing of technology and the coalescing of their agendas at this particular time in our human existence is to the point now where they are ready with all of the technologies. We don't even need to discuss out 10, 20, and 30 years, as you will hear people at Google, et cetera, talk about what they'll achieve. They are at the point now where they have enough technology to flip the switch, so to speak, just to throw a big umbrella over all the technology, throw the switch, control us, reduce the population, open the portal, achieve what they want to achieve. Now, I am solution-oriented, and my my faith is a Christian-based faith, and I don't believe that God is going to allow this, because we are in the days of Noah. If you go back to your opening statement about CERN being the largest, most powerful, most complex scientific experiment or device or machine that we know of in recorded history, we go to the Tower of Babel as an example, because quite literally CERN is the high-tech version of what really was a spiritual machine that was utilized by Nimrod with the Tower of Babel, and of course God destroyed the Tower of Babel. The same agenda back then is at play today, and therefore the same outcome will happen. I mentioned Revelation 9 as they're being successful in opening the portal, and they will do that according to Scripture. But that is for the purpose of judgment. Short answer here is they're not going to get much further. They can accomplish this immediate goal of opening the portal. Will that be this year or next year or several years? I can't put a timeline to it, but I know from looking at the technology, they could do it today if they so chose to. You know, we have to take a one and only break, but before I do so, let me just mention that I recently heard uh, John B. Wells, uh, I think it was one of your interviews, and he said that perhaps the Great Flood was, uh, not in these specific words, but was orchestrated because, quote-unquote, they needed a reset due to our DNA being flawed. But I have a different perspective other than, than John's, and I'll tell you why. When I look at the ancient megastructures, you know, that remain the pyramids, just to name one, and the fact that 
we cannot replicate these structures thousands of years later with our most advanced technology. Anthony, something tells me that if the flood was created and not natural, then perhaps it was for the opposite. What if we lived too long and we were too smart and we were united? Those who conquered don't like that. They want a divided and dumb populace that doesn't live long enough to realize our history is not what we're told. And I'll get your answer on the other side, your thoughts on this. But how can people learn more about your work, your website, and your books? Yeah, anthonypatch.com. It's all there. Excellent, folks. What a great interview. I'm so glad that finally we brought Anthony Patch over to Veritas and so much more. And as, as he says... He's a solution-based person, so am I. This is what Veritas and the truth is all about. When we come back, we'll bring solutions and we'll discuss more of Tesla. That number, 369. And the day after disclosure, I want you to paint a picture of what that would really look like. I have a different opinion, but I'd like to get yours. This is Mel Fabregas. Delighted to be here with Anthony Patch. Don't go anywhere. Thanks for listening to part one of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, head on over to the member section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. You don't want to miss the rest. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store where you can find great products like pure organic sulfur, rebounders, turmeric, and other great supplements. Thank you.